How many of you guys believe in miracles? Amen. I do. I've seen one this weekend. Carolyn is away at a, a women's retreat at Camp Pine Rock, and I'm still alive. <laughs> it was a Del Taco and pizza with me and the boys, but <laughs> we made it. I'm thankful she's up there uh, just listening to God, hearing from Him. She's such a, a blessing in this ministry. Uh, she's brought so many of her gifts behind the scenes that, that she would never talk about, but whether it's helping in, in children's ministry or in our missional community, she's my angel, you know, and I'm so thankful for her. Thankful I'm still alive. <laughs> Can't wait for her to get back this afternoon, because I don't know how much longer this can go. <laughs> this morning, I want to talk to you guys about two ideas that are talked about a lot, um, on the internet and just in general. The, the two ideas are, are pride and humility. And I wanted to show you guys a couple things that I saw this week about pride that I think you'll enjoy, hopefully as much as I did. The first one was this one. <laughs> pride. Sometimes it's a luxury that a little wiener dog just can't afford. <laughs> I like this next one as well. Dear Lord, why'd you make pride a sin and then make me so awesome? <laughs> Maybe some of you felt that. There's also a lot of quotes out there about humility. Ted Turner of uh, TBS, TNT fame said, if I only had a little humility, I would be perfect. <laughs> Golda Meyer said, don't be humble, you're not that great. <laughs> and then Phyllis Diller said, you know what keeps me humble? Mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> the concepts that are bounced around a lot out there They've been bounced around for a lot of years. The Bible, thousands of years ago, had much to say about pride and humility. Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, said a few things. He said, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. He also said that pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. It says, God mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Even in the New Testament, when Paul writes to Timothy about how this world will continually get worse as it gets near the end, he writes this. I want you to listen for the words that represent pride in here. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. He says, Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful. There's another one. Proud. Abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Talk about a rap sheet, man. He just keeps going. Not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. There's much to be said about pride and humility. And today, as we look at a passage in the book of Luke, what I want to do is, is look at Jesus and his resolute grace, his grace that just won't give up, that keeps going. Jesus' resolute grace versus my stubborn pride. <laughs> and what we're going to see in this passage is that Jesus is going to tell his disciples he's heading for the cross he's on this mission of mercy and love and grace and nothing is going to stop him now as he's telling them this we're going to see three instances of pride 
among the disciples that he just told this to. And I think as we see this, if you're like me, we'll, we'll maybe see a glimpse of, of how we roll sometimes. But my hope is that as we look at how Jesus rolled, that it will greatly encourage us and impact us to live the same. So we're going to go through this series of three back and forths. Pride says, and faith says. Pride says this, faith says this. And you say, why don't you say pride says and humility says? Well, my friend Justin reminded me this week that faith is key to humility. Because you, you cannot make yourself humble. You know that? We, we can't do it. And if you believe you have made yourself humble, you'll probably become proud. <laughs> Helen Nielsen said humility is like underwear. Hang on. All right. Essential, but indecent if it shows. I like that. We can't make ourselves humble. So that's where faith comes in. It was Pastor Lee Wiggins, one of my mentors, that said, Pride is believing I know better than God. Okay? Faith is believing God knows better than me. And so when God says he wants us to live a humble life, it's going to require faith that what he says is true, and that truly is the path to fulfillment. If we don't have that faith, we won't live in humility. So Jesus' humble grace versus my stubborn pride. Jesus was resolute in putting us ahead of himself, all right? But all too often, we're resolute in putting ourselves above everyone else, aren't we? And that's what we're going to look at. Let's look first at Jesus. Jesus came in humility to lay down his life for us. All right, Luke 9, 43. It says, while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he had just cast a demon out of a boy who had been tormented. If you were here with us last week, you'll remember that. They're all buzzing. The crowd's abuzz with what just happened. His disciples couldn't do it. He did. While they were still buzzing, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. That's why he came. All right, he's looking forward to the arrest and the cross and the resurrection for our salvation. Mark 10 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You talk about humility on the part of the Son of God, putting others ahead of himself. Paul writes in Philippians 2 that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You talk about the beauty of a humble Savior that knew our need and put our need above himself. How would the disciples respond? I mean, you think of all the appropriate responses. We read that and we want to get up and sing some worship songs about Jesus, right? Like, you're so wonderful. You're so gracious. You're so filled with love. Listen to what happened with the disciples. He had just told them he's going to be delivered into the hands of men. Verse 45, they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. 
Verse 46, read this with me. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. <laughs> Jesus' humility, I'm going to the cross for you guys in the world, and they start, who, who's the best? Who's the best? And this is the first kind of pride, all right? Let's go back to that slide. Pride number one says, I am more important than them. I'm more important than them. That's what's going on among the disciples. We don't know why this started. It could have been that, as we talked about last week, three of the disciples went up on the mountain with Jesus while he got transfigured. He was bright as lightning. The other nine got left behind at the bottom and they couldn't cast out the demon. So, you know, sometimes other people have an experience with God and they tell you about it. What's the first thing? You get a little jealous and you're like, I'm, who's better? Who's, who's closer to God? Who's greater? Right? Maybe that's what's going on. But Jesus is going to shock them. He's going to say, pride may say that I'm better than them, but faith says that in God's kingdom, less is more. Less is more. Verse 47, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. You've got to understand, our society, for the most part, loves children. We celebrate them. We, we view them as gifts. I saw a newer baby here this morning. We just love children. This society, not so much. In many ways, many people viewed them almost like property, an annoyance, uh, or a convenience just to get stuff done. Many people saw children that way. So when Jesus brings a child in, we may not get it in today's culture, but in their culture, that's how they viewed them. They were the least among, among people. He calls this child in, and he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Welcome in this little child who's a convenience and an annoyance. Welcome, if you welcome them, you welcome me. And he goes on, he says, It is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Less is more in God's kingdom, right? A lot of us like that passage in Philippians where we talked about Jesus becoming nothing. We enjoy that, right? Because, I mean, that's how we were saved. That's how we have hope. That's how we have life. You know what it says right before that in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1? Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Anybody in here encouraged by your relationship with Christ? Love that fellowship and what he did? If any comfort from his love, you receive that comfort from Christ, it's what you live on. If any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What's Paul saying? He's saying, if you like that, if you're encouraged by that, that's how I want you to treat the people around you. In your church, in your community, in your world. Love them the way you enjoy Jesus loving you. Now, there's a lot of things the Bible tells us to live out in our lives that get a bad rap in our world. Uh, gentleness, for one, you know. Who wants to be gentle? You know, but gentleness in a biblical perspective is really strength under control. It's like the picture of a wild stallion 
with all this strength being controlled and tamed. It's not weakness, it's just that strength under control. Same with humility. A lot of people hear God wants us to be humble and we're, we, th- we think we've got to walk around like self-deprecating and have this low self-esteem and never, never look anybody in the eye. And it's this weird, messed up picture. It's quite the opposite because true biblical humility, you know what it requires? It requires being confident of who we are in Christ. That when we receive Christ, we become a son or daughter of the king, a prince or a princess. You have to be confident of that before you can be humble. Jesus modeled this, all right? While he was here, the Last Supper, John 13, sitting at the table with his guys, verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. You talk about a a realization that could send you on a power trip, all right? (laughs) What did he just realize? The Father had put all things under his power. He's from God and returning to God. How many of us, if we heard that about ourselves, we're like, yeah. Time to take over all these peons around me. Right? I'm going to be like Lord Business in the Lego movie. All right? Jesus, upon that remembrance of that, that realization, you know what he did in light of that? Verse 4, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Because he was confident in who he was, he was able to humbly serve those around him. Same with you and I. And, listen to this, humility is the true path to being exalted. All right? We heard it in what he said to the disciples, the one who is least among you all is the greatest. We see it in the Philippians passage. Because Jesus made himself nothing, because he obeyed his Father, verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Okay, so less is more in the kingdom. What does this look like? I want to give you just a couple examples. How many of you are familiar with the NFL named Mike Singletary from back in the day? Great pro bowler on the Chicago Bears. How many of you know that he went to a church in the Chicago suburbs? Any of you know that? He's a believer. You know what his service was at that church? Week in and week out, he volunteered to clean the bathrooms, toilets and all. I see a lot of humility in that, a millionaire in there cleaning the toilets at the church. Mother Teresa founded the Missionaries of Charity. She lived her life with destitute and starving children in India, helping the poorest among the poor. She said this, These are a few ways we can practice humility. To speak as little as possible of oneself. To mind one's own business. Not to want to manage other people's affairs. It's hard sometimes, right? We, we like to control the people around us. To accept correction cheerfully. Somebody comes in and says, hey, I see this area you need to grow in. Mm. To pass over the mistakes of others. You know, the Bible says love covers over a multitude of sins. To accept being slighted, forgotten, and disliked. 
How many of us handle it well when we're overlooked? To be kind and gentle, even under provocation. Even when your vehicle's getting towed. We can say from this. Never to stand on one's dignity. To choose always the hardest. Those words mean a lot because she lived her life in that pattern with those orphans. All right, C.J. Mahaney said this. The presence of any humility in my life is purely and completely an evidence of God's grace. From my perspective, I'm not a humble man. I am a proud man pursuing humility by the grace of God. I think he's got it. He's got it. It's only the grace of God that's going to work it in my life. Let's look at pride number two. I like when God uses me, but not when he uses them. Some of us have been guilty of this at times, have we not? Verse 49. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. <laughs> I like when God uses me, but not when he uses them. Sometimes don't we want to be the ones that, that sort of get the notice that, hey, God used that church. God used that guy. God used that lady for something special. So when we hear it from another church or another person, we get a little bit jealous. Why couldn't that have been me? So this is John, right? Now John, maybe we got some jealousy going on here. Okay, he was up on the mountain with Jesus when the other disciples, his buddies, couldn't do it. But maybe for his buddies, he's a little jealous because he's thinking, hey, our, our team couldn't do that with this demon in the boy. And now there's these other guys doing it. We want the credit, Jesus. Don't let them do it. But it clearly says they were doing it in your name. They were clearly doing it in the power of Jesus. They were evidently believers. And, and John just wants them to knock it off. I think of this kind of jealousy, and I think it can happen within a church body. You know, sometimes we look at the other gifts in the body, and we look at maybe somebody gets recognized, or somebody gets noticed, and there's a little part of us inside that, that starts to cringe a little. Like, why couldn't that be me? And we get a little bitter inside. I think it happens within church, uh, between churches. You know, maybe we, we see another church grow faster than ours, or or we we look at another church and something special happens there, and we get jealous. There's there's an example of this uh, early on, and I will not say which church next door it was. There are several other church next doors in the country. We didn't know that when we chose the name. We chose the name because church next door. What we want to represent is that we're not only the church when we gather here on Sunday. I'm part of the church when, when I'm in my neighborhood with my family. And I may be the only church that my neighbors ever see. And I want to shine the light of Jesus. We are the church next door. So we picked that name. And after we did that, we found out there were a few other church next doors. Well, would you believe that one day, got a letter from the church P.O. box that was from another church next door, thousands of miles away in the country, I read it, and I couldn't believe my eyes. It was a legal letter from the pastor of that church threatening to pursue legal action on our church if we wouldn't change our name. <laughs> okay, and I start to think, first reaction, I'm like, all right, 
How many First Baptists are there around the country, right? How many Calvaries are there? And, and not only that, there's two internationally known ministries that have the word harvest in them. Harvest Bible Chapel with James McDonald and Harvest America with Greg Laurie. And somehow they've managed to get along okay. All right? Even though they're internationally known. This church is not internationally known. I don't believe their church was either. So I, I called the guy, and you know what the first thing I said to him was? I just said, have you read this verse? Have you read what, what Jesus says? Here's the antidote to this attitude. Faith says there is no I in team. All right? Jesus said to John, do not stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. So I try to share with them, we're not against you. We're not trying to make your life difficult. We're just trying to do what God calls us to do in Arizona. And he went on to say, well, I just feel like you're in my yard and I told you to get out of my yard and you don't want to get out of my yard. And I said, I'm just not convinced it's your yard in the first place. <laughs> yeah, this is the Lord's grass. <laughs> we didn't hear anything else, thankfully. You can see that, that attitude of us versus them creeps even into the church. But Jesus says, there is no I in team. Whoever is not against you is for you. Listen to how Paul writes it in Romans 12. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. We see a salvation in another church. We see a baptism in another church. We celebrate because God's kingdom is growing. Mourn with those who mourn. We see another church go through a tragic scandal or something. There better not be any part of us that enjoys it. All right? We ought to mourn with them as they go through that. Live in harmony with one another. Within the church, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We're in it together. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Paul is saying. We should have the attitude of Paul. In 1 Thessalonians 1, he writes to this church that's growing and, and blossoming. He says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We always thank God for you. Could we say that about the people in this room with us? Could we say it about other churches in our community and around the world? One man said this, you don't really want revival if you can't celebrate it when it breaks out at another church. What you want is recognition for you and yours. Wherever it breaks out, wherever people are saved from the darkness and baptized and lives are turned around, we ought to rejoice because there is no I in team. Day of service is coming up Saturday, May 16th. Over 10 churches now working together in our area to go out and serve on 55 projects. Largest one of the three we've done so far. Here's the mission statement drafted my, by my friend John at the Lumendeo Church in Prescott. Part of the values are whole church. Listen to this. This is what we ought to be about. Jesus prayed for the unity of his church 
and through day of service we unify through serving together. There are various church traditions and denominations that come together to love God and neighbor in our actions. It's been said that the church is too often marked by a high blood pressure of words and anemia of deeds. When churches unite together for the common good of our community, we're able to broaden and deepen a gospel impact across the area. That's what it's about. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Am I saying forget doctrine, forget beliefs? No. No, every church involved in this believes that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, all right? Every church believes that the Bible defines sin, not our culture. The Bible defines grace, not our culture. And yet, we sing different kind of songs. We meet at different times. Some of us are 50 people. Some of us are 3,000 people. Some of us have 10 pastors. Some of us have one. Some of us have none. <laughs> we have elders that work all week, week long. Do you know what? We're on the same team. There is no I in team. Verse 51, we're going to see this, this amazing pride with the disciples contrasted with Jesus again. Verse 51 says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And that's these next cha 10 chapters in the book of Luke is Jesus with his eyes locked on Jerusalem where he would be crucified for our sins. What a contrast with these little arguments going on with the disciples, maybe sometimes with us. Here's a third kind. This is the last one. Pride three. I want God's grace for me, but his wrath for them. <laughs> you think about that. Are there any groups in your mind where, where that's us? I, I like God's grace for me, but I really would enjoy <laughs> seeing his wrath on them. Verse 52, he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Now, you know there's a lot of tension between Samaritans and Jews, right? He went to get things ready in this village, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? In, in another gospel account, Jesus gives them a unique name. He calls them the sons of thunder <laughs> because of this. John and James, verse 55 says, But Jesus turned and rebuked them. See, I think about James and John. They went with Peter up on the mountain of transfiguration just before this. So I'm imagining maybe, maybe, they feel extra close to God right now. Okay? And so maybe because of that, they, they feel a little better than all the people around them. And they feel like this would impress Jesus if they see his, uh, their anger towards these sinners. It's possible. But listen, the way you express closeness to God in a biblical fashion is what Jesus said in Luke 6.36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. In Ezekiel 33, this is Old Testament. For those of you who think God didn't have any love in the Old Testament, listen to Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
That's God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Now that does not mean God is not just. People choose to reject Him and they will suffer the consequences. There are consequences to sin, but He says, I take no pleasure, which tells me we had better not either. We had better not either. Faith says, pay it forward. To refer to a slightly old movie title. Luke 11.4, Jesus said, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. His forgiveness of us is always connected with our forgiveness of others. They always go together in the Word. Matthew 6, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Luke 6.32, If you love those who love you, What credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I want to show you guys a video that represents this pay-it-forward idea as powerfully as anything I've seen. There's a syndrome called Treacher-Collins syndrome. It it disfigures a face in, in an unusual way. There's a man named John O. Lancaster, who's lived with this condition. I want you to watch this two-minute clip and then I want to break it down in light of this idea of paying it forward. Everyone likes to enjoy the life with parents and friends. We don't want to feel alone, and we are looking for a role model to follow their path of success. But the life of John O'Lancaster was entirely different. He was born with a rare genetic condition, Treacher-Collins syndrome. A disorder of the facial bones and tissue that can dramatically affect appearance, hearing, sight and breathing. It usually doesn't affect intelligence, and many patients can live long with treatments. But it is no cure. This has been a reality for me for all my life. But I'm not alone, as over half a million people in the UK have some facial disfigurement of some kind. Lancaster, 30, was abandoned by his parents. At just 36 hours old, He always felt alone growing up with the condition, and he spent most of his developing years depressed and acting out. He faced cruel bullying and rejections. Jono has discovered on Facebook that he has two younger siblings who have no idea he exists. But his attempt to contact his parents only resulted in more rejection. Due to my condition and the way I look, I do stand out from the crowd. You know, there's been times when I have been an easy target for bullies. That's left me feeling isolated. Now, John O'Lancaster is an inspiration to children having the same condition. He travels the world, meeting children with the disorder, helping families cope with it, and speaking to groups about awareness, education, and bullying prevention. John O is developing a brace of fans, like young Zachary in Australia, who love him as a hero. Two-year-old Zachary Walton was born with Treacher-Collins syndrome 
got the opportunity to spend three days with his hero. The family witnessed a wonderful bond between Zachary and Lancaster. They were very much worried about their son's future. But Lancaster gave them hope and inspiration. Now Lancaster is a part of Zachary's family. He hated Treacher Collins, he hated his life. But now he believes, God made him for a good reason, and he is proud of it. As I've got older, you know, I've learned to be proud of the way I look, and you know, I love looking the way I do, and I love being me. Lancaster is an important role model to anyone, anywhere upset about how they look, and his speeches have helped change people's attitudes to love themselves for who they are. powerful right I look at the way he loved on those little children and something in there explains why why he reached out to them there was the quote children having the same condition that's what led him to go out there and make a difference in their lives and I think about you and I sometimes if we've been saved if we've received Jesus a long time ago we we get this warped perception that somehow in and of myself, I'm, I'm better than those other people, than that group, than these people that, that don't believe. And we, none of us would ever come in here and say that, but the way we live, the way we act, maybe reflects that idea. He reached out to them because they had the same condition. And I think about the human condition, and you know what makes every one of us in this room the same as everyone out there? Sin. We all need grace. We all need Jesus. And just because one beggar finds the bread a little bit before another beggar, does that somehow make him better than the other beggar? Not at all. Sometimes we follow this pattern, Hosea 13.6. This was God's people in the Old Testament, but sometimes it happens to us too. God said, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud then they forgot me. We can follow that same track. I'm saved, I'm good. And we forget that anything good in us is because of Jesus. That's it. We need to reach out to others who, like us, need grace. So as we look at Jesus' resolute grace and, and our stubborn pride, I have a feeling there's some people in this room that that we hear this message and we say, I'm going to take this challenge. I will go out there and live differently now. We will do it. We will live in this humility. But I want you to read something that I read in Joshua 24 in my quiet time this week. The, the Israelites were now in the promised land. Joshua is an old man. And he gives this great speech in, in Joshua 24:14. He says to them, Fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now the people respond in verse 16, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. We too will serve the Lord because He is our God. And I almost did a double take when I read verse 19. You know, if, if, if a group of people said that to a pastor, most of the time, what are you, you going to expect? Yes, let's go do it, right? 
You, you made the right choice. Let's go change the world. Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. <laughs> Talk about a downer. <laughs> yeah, this moment to start this huge pep rally, and he says, you're not able to serve the Lord. And as you look at Israel's history without the Holy Spirit that we now have today, he was right. It was this pattern of trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. We can do the same thing today, even though the Holy Spirit's available to us. If we say, I'm going to walk out of here and do it, I'm going to live humbly in my own power, we're going to run into the same cycle. Altar in the door, casting crowns. How many of you love that song? That song reflects this idea that I'm getting at so well. We come to church, we hear something that convicts us, and, and he writes this. This is his response to this fictional message in the song. Lord, this time I'll make it right. Here at the altar I lay my life. Your kingdom come, but, but my will was done. My heart is broken as I cry like so many times before. But my eyes are dry before I leave the floor, O oh Lord. I try, but this time, Jesus, how can I be sure I will not lose my follow-through between the altar and the door? And isn't that what often happens? We, we get convicted, we hear God's word, and we say, I'm going to go do it. But between the altar and the door, it's gone because it was all about me trying. The answer is what he says in the chorus. Jesus, I'm trying so hard to stop trying so hard. Just let you be who you are, Lord, who you are in me. See, faith says, on my own, I can't do it. I can't live this life of humility and grace and love. But you can, Jesus, and you can, Holy Spirit, and I trust you to do it through me. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But in the middle, he says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. I'd like us to close our eyes and bow our heads. And if this prayer reflects your heart like it reflects mine, I invite you to just say it to God in your heart. Go with me on this, this journey, all right? Father, I confess that at times I have believed I am more important than them. I confess that. Help me to remember that in your kingdom, less is more. God, I confess I have liked when you used me, but not when you used them. Help me to remember that in your kingdom there is no I in team. Change my perspective. God, I confess, I have wanted your grace for me, but your wrath for them. Help me to remember that in your kingdom I should extend that forgiveness and mercy to those around me through the good news of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.